Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. How we doing this morning? Good? Woo! Yes. Yes. Um, all right. Uh, we are getting after it. James chapter 1. Hey, my name's Ben, by the way. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you or if you haven't been around uh, a ton, I'm just one of the pastors here. I get to be a part of a, of a really big team. Some of them get up on stage a lot, some of them don't, but uh, it's really awesome to be a part of a team that um, is not just about what happens here, but really what happens throughout the week, hopefully in your lives. So we are all about the Bible here on this stage. So you did not come to hear Ben talk. You came to hear what the Word of God has to say. So flip your Bibles open to James chapter 1. We'll throw it up on the screen if that's easier for you. Um, Like uh, Nathan said at the beginning of the service, we are walking through the book of James really verse by verse this whole semester. So man, come and and study deeply. Today we're just going to be in a handful of verses. Starting in verse 5, this is what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Guess what we're talking about this morning? Wisdom. We're talking about wisdom. Biblically, we see in James really a how we get wisdom. And so we're going to unpack really this biblical idea of why we need it, um, really what it is, and then where the Bible says we get it. Um, Before I start unpacking this passage and really this biblical concept of wisdom, I want to ask you some questions. So a couple of questions, rhetorical, don't raise your hand, it'll get awkward, but some rhetorical questions um, that I want you to be thinking about. How do you know... How do you know the right career next for you, right? If you're getting close to that next step, how do you know um, the right classes, the right degree if you're in school right now? Um, How do you know how to make the right decision to set yourself up? How do you know even what your summers should look like or what internship to take, right? If if there is a path forward, the decisions you guys make as probably some 18-year-olds in here all the way through, most of you guys are in your 20s, the decisions you make right now in your life are going to exponentially affect your life more than just about any other window of time in your life, right? Who you date, what relationships look like in this five to seven year window, the job you take. How do you know which one is the right one, right? If you're in a relationship, how do you know, is this the right relationship? Is this the relationship I should keep moving forward? Is this the relationship I should immediately eject from? I don't have a relationship. How do we know how to get a relationship that I want? All of those questions. All of those questions and the unlimited other questions, crossroads in our life, stressful crossroads in our life, that our decision is going to steer where you end up further down the road. Um, Those ideas that are tied to the the will of God, right? If God, if you're following God, and and even if you're not following God, that there is a designer of this thing, and and your your life is telling a story, how do you know what is God's will, what is the right path for you? Wisdom, guys, wisdom is 
a God-given gift for those who follow him. And it is the way we're able to answer those questions and unlimited more questions as we navigate life and hit crossroads and tension points that we say, what is the right way to go? What should I run from? What should I run to? What do I choose? We need it. It's massively crucial in our life, specifically in the season that most of you guys are in in this room. So let's spend some time defining right, what it is because it's super important. Um, let me start with what it's not. And, um, and here's one thing that it's not. Wisdom is not about you. Um, and let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, I, I want to be real careful because I just gave you a list of really felt needs tied to this passage that really make us lean in to James chapter 1, 5 through 8 and say, oh gosh, I have some questions. I need an answer. How do I figure that out, right? Like the list I just gave you is a very personal list if you connect with any of those, right? Probably tied to some sort of anxiety of you wanting the correct answer to that. Um, so I want to be really careful because even though there is a, that's a real application, very personal, real biblical wisdom is not about making your life smooth um, or for the sake of your convenience in your path. Right? Real biblical wisdom is not just to be applied at its nature for how do you live the life, make the right decisions so that you have the most prosperous life. Um, I'm going to circle back around to this at the end of the sermon, but just right up front at the very beginning of this talk, I, I want you to hear wisdom is more about steering your life in a way that's not about your prosperity but really about God's glory in your life. I want you to hear me say that. Wisdom is not just about steering your life so that you have the most prosperous, good, comfortable life. It is really more about steering your life to where your life is most God-glorifying. And I'll take it one step further than that because I love you and I want to be honest with you about what God's word says. God is primarily concerned not about your prosperity in life as much as he is his glory and his glory played out in your life. God is more concerned and, and will prioritize his glory over you have the best, most comfortable, smoothest path and most prosperous life. That's not his primary concern. It's his glory. And let me tell you why that's not really disappointing, right? Let me tell you why hearing that if there's a check that says, well, that seems kind of selfish, first off, he's God, so he's worthy of all things, so there's that. But here's the other thing that's really, really encouraging about the reality that God's priority is his glory, even in our own lives. Um, living a life, listen to me, living a life that is bringing God glory will be the most fulfilling, life-abundant, joy-filled peace-enduring life you can live. That's what we believe here, and the reason we at this ministry and this church, Christ Chapel, believe that is because that's what this book teaches us over and over and over again. Much less that is what has been modeled in my life and the lives of others who I've watched set an example for me who have chased hard after God, and I've seen the fruit of that life. But that's what God's word says. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, in your presence where God is doing it God's way, his path, in your presence there is fullness of joy. That sounds pretty awesome. Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore, the psalmist says. 
that's what we are called to. That's what we want for you guys. And, and that, that dovetails nicely into the second what wisdom is not, because wisdom is also not a killjoy. And here's what I mean by that. Um, wisdom is not out uh, to, to make sure you have a really boring college or young adult life experience. Um, God isn't trying to ruin your fun. That's not what wisdom is about. Uh, Wisdom, as we'll see here, is, if applied, it's going to steer life choices, right? If biblical wisdom is applied to your your life, make no mistake, there are going to be life choices that godly wisdom is going to steer you away from certain things, and God's wisdom and his conviction are going to steer you towards other things that are in line with who he is and his character and what he's called from you from large moral things to nuanced decisions in your life. It's going to require, it's going to, it's going to create choices in your life and decisions. But those are for your good and his glory. Um, if, just to personify wisdom for a second. If, if wisdom is personified and wisdom comes before you and wisdom says, hey, Steve, let's say your name's Steve. Hey, I really think this is what you need to go towards. Wisdom is telling you this is the right way or you need to walk away from this or you need to walk towards this. If wisdom is personified and it's telling you that, it might say stop doing this or start doing more of this. If you see wisdom as a guy who wants to rob you as your fun, of your fun as a young adult, if you see wisdom as a thing, it's like, I don't want to do it. I don't want that. You just don't want me to have fun on the weekend. You just don't want me to whatever it is, you fill in the blank on whatever it is. You, you want me to do the hard thing. You want me to do all that. I just want to take the easy, whatever wisdom is telling you, if you see wisdom as a killjoy, you're not going to follow it. You're not going to apply it. And you're not going to know how to apply it. You're not going to grow in wisdom. And it's based on a misunderstanding, a false conception of what wisdom even is as a, as a killjoy. God's direction through wisdom, his directions through biblical wisdom are good. And this passage, 1 James 1, 5 through 8, is talking about do we believe that? We ask for it, do we actually believe it is good? Let me illustrate it this way, because this is massively convicting to me personally, right? Like all the time, God leads me, and I, I sometimes say, yes, God, that is wise, and I feel that conviction. I know I should go that way, and yet I don't, and I choose what is less good. My image for that, and I apologize if I've shared this before, it's the image that steered in my brain consistently when I think of not choosing God's way because I think something's better, and it's um, my buddy in college, his dog, which was an idiot, right? His dog was just, I mean, tore up every shoe we had in the house, just was a sweet dog, it was a lab, so it was fun, full of energy, but honestly, just a, a, just a ridiculously stupid dog. <clears throat> so that dog would come to the sliding glass door, and it's Texas, so it's hot, and, and we would let the dog in, and we would have a huge bowl of water, fresh water, right in front of it, and the dog would run every time, just hot Texas heat, run right past the fresh water, right into the bathroom, and would drink constantly out of the toilet bowl, right? And this is a house that like six college bros lived in. So that toilet bowl was disgusting, right? It was the origins of COVID. That's what happened there. That was where it began there. Um, That's not true. Um, 
right? That is, that was horrible, right? It, and it would always do that. And we would put water like right there. And then we started putting the bowl next, literally the water bowl next to the toilet bowl thinking, hey, this is fresher water, right? And it was just this disgusting thing that we constantly do. And I think about, the no, dog's name was Brock. And I think about Brock all the time and I see my life, right? Sorry if your name's Brock, by the way. Um, uh, you're great. I love you. Um, you're really smart. Um, but this, this dog, I connect with a ton, Right? I connect with it a ton because I see all the time in my life running past what is good because I'm believing some lie of thinking this is what I want. This is where I'm going to find life. This is where I'm going to find enjoyment. This is what I want my life. This is what I want my relationship. This is what I want my weekend. This is what I want my social life. This is what I want my status. This is what I want my identity. Whatever it is, this is what I want. And I, I, yeah, I don't really care about this necessarily, or I do in, in certain doses, but I run past what is good. And so really as a follower of Christ, if that's you in this room, or if you're in this room and you're not following Christ, but you're investigating, is he worth, you have to ask yourself, do I believe? Do I believe that his way is good? that his wisdom will steer me to choices that may be in the flesh I don't want to make, but I'm trusting they are actually good. Um, it, it's also uh, compartmentalizing, right? It, that's, another, that's another trap we fall into with wisdom, that, that wisdom is not this compartmentalized vending machine, right? I want to apply wisdom for my career. So yeah, Give me, show me how in, in, for, in James chapter 1, how to figure out the wise choice for my career, but I don't want to apply wisdom to my dating relationships. Or I need wisdom for my dating relationships, but I don't really want to apply it to how I act with my, my friends, right? Or how I, how I speak to others. I don't really want to apply it in that way. And so we so often treat wisdom like this compartmentalized vending machine. Of, oh, I'll take a little bit of this, I'll take a bit of that, which is a, a misunderstanding fundamentally of what biblical wisdom actually is. And, and if we're doing that, we're not actually going to see real wisdom emerge. Um, the last framing of what it's not is that it's not just a skill or knowledge, right? It's not just about your abilities or your techniques in any given trade. It's not just information, right? You can't go and just Google uh, wisdom in our life. And sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that wisdom is, you know, facts and knowledge. And, and we see people who are older than us and maybe successful and we admire them. And those are all good things. And we say, man, I need to sit down with them. And I need to learn. I need to learn what they know. I need to know what they know of how they climbed that ladder or were successful in these areas. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. That's learning knowledge. That's, I mean, so much of what school is about. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But biblical wisdom is a whole deeper and different level than just the knowledge or the techniques that we learn. It's not what we see in Scripture, so what is it? It's the proper use of that knowledge, right? It's not just knowing the info. It's knowing how to steer with that info through life. John Calvin, who's an old theologian who's dead, but I love him. He wrote this about wisdom. He said, true wisdom consists principally of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And true biblical wisdom that we see throughout Scripture is this combination of knowing who God is, who his character is, who he says how we are to live, but also knowing ourselves, knowing our proclivities and, and our um, temptations and our weaknesses and our strengths and knowing those things and being able to, to make it through life. Um, the Hebrew word uh, for wisdom in the Old Testament, which James, to his audience, would have been writing to a lot of people who, when he said wisdom, were like, oh yeah, the Old Testament, all, it's all throughout the Old Testament in our Bible. 
right? Around 150 times this word and concept of wisdom comes up, and it's really the ability to judge correctly, um, to judge correctly, to follow the best course of action based on knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is the ability to see something from God's viewpoint. That's what I want. That's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for me. That's what I pray for my two boys. That's what I pray for my family. God, would we see through your lens? Would we have your, would you give us wisdom to see what we don't see? Wisdom is how we steer our life to the most optimal design that our life is designed for by the creator and designer of our life. Knowing what to flee from, knowing what to run towards, knowing where to turn, knowing what the next step is. In a way, it's really a rubric of how to navigate life, right? A, a good example would be if you have an iPhone or, or really pretty much any piece of technology, the iPhone itself, the brick, right? That, that piece of metal and glass and whatever it is, right? Magic, right? That thing um, is a hardware, right? The thing that you buy and you get out of the box from the Apple store is the hardware. But when you swipe up and you type in your code and you swipe up to unlock or the, the sensor that sees your face and recognizes it, that's all software, that somebody really brilliantly typed up and created the programming for that hardware to know how to function, to know what to do and how to navigate it. And when you move this with your finger, the screen slides that way. And that's wisdom, right? It is the software of life to help us know how to navigate how this life plays out. And here's the thing. God says it's available, right? God says it's here. It's available. I want you to have it. That's crazy exciting this morning, if you care about that and desire wisdom. Proverbs is where I'm going to take us uh, for, for just a second, but I'm just going to tease you with some Proverbs. I would love to encourage you. If you've got a reading plan, great. If you're in Scripture, do it. And if you really want to dig deep into wisdom, there's a lot of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, but Proverbs is an incredible book packed with wisdom, written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And it's an incredible book to study and really chew on as, as we're going to talk later in application about um, really w the importance of that. But let me, let me read for you Proverbs um, 4, verse 5. This is what it says. It says, we'll throw it up on the screen, Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. So even the author here in Proverbs, Solomon, is saying wisdom comes from God's mouth, from God's word. Proverbs 10, 9, excuse me, Proverbs 9, verse 10, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we'll circle back around to that later. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So there's these ingredients that God has designed as the foundation of wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16 says, How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Right? So it's this incredible value that God's Word would put to say, you could come up with skills that might make you really successful. Right? You have some great skills that would make you really successful and you could be very prosperous in your life, but man, it is so much better to have wisdom. So it's not just skills and knowledge, but the ability to navigate life and making the right choices throughout life. Um, so how? How do we get it, right? How do we get wisdom? If this is a picture and hopefully a framing of what wisdom is, how do we get it? I'm going to take you back to where we started, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, where he 
with the context of his audience already understanding what really Old Testament biblical wisdom was, um, here now in the New Testament, he's saying, this is how you get it. Remember, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, which we all do, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James is telling us how to get this crucial thing, right? In this, these verses, he's this crucial needed thing of wisdom. And he's saying, you've got to ask God, you've got to have faith in your asking, right? So, of course, I, if I want the lens in which to see the world, the rubric in which to see the world of which, which is the right path, of course I should go and ask for that from the one who created all things. Uh, of course, I should go to the one who, who has the perspective that I don't. And so how do we get wisdom? First, it's through prayer, right? Just verse 5, so clearly, you ask God, praying to God and asking for wisdom in faith, it says. And so let's look at this faith component, because throughout the Bible, we see a God who is crazy generous, just unbelievably generous gift giver, right? He gives peace, he gives joy, he gives protection for his people, he gives salvation to us for those who are saved. He gives salvation and he gives it generously. He, he doesn't say, oh, you gotta earn salvation, you gotta earn it, you gotta do all these good things and then I'll give you my joy. I mean, he gives salvation and it is not by my earning. How is it? We are saved Ephesians 2 says we are saved by grace, gracious gift, not earning it, didn't bring it to the table, incredibly gracious gift. We are saved by grace through faith so that we don't get to boast in our works and thinking we earned it, right? And so he is a generous gift giver, but there is really this one consistent theme throughout Scripture that he is asking of us, and that is faith. He gives gifts left and right. He's he is a father who says, you are welcome, there is grace, there is peace, there is life. Do you believe? On, on our side, we've got some hard work to do. To say, can we believe? What does that faith look like? How do we till that faith? God wants us to have wisdom. He wants you to ask for it. And he wants you to believe that he'll provide it. Do you? I read this passage because there's some things in this passage where, you know, if you're a doubter and you're, you're thrown by the waves and it's like, well, maybe that's me. I don't know if I, fully, I, don't know if I believe enough, right? I don't know if I want to believe, but I don't know if I have enough belief in the, in the chart to be able to earn what I want to ask for and how do I get my belief higher. And, and some scholars that I looked at this last week who were brilliant and way smarter than me and how they unpacked even the language of this passage um, really saw this picture of the doubter in verse 6 as less of an indictment of the person who's struggling to believe but wants to. You know, the person who says, I want to believe. I, I, I need faith. I, I do believe you. I want to believe. Do I believe enough? It's less about that person who genuinely desires faith. I mean, Scripture throughout even says, if you have just the faith of a mustard seed. So there's this beautiful thing of, you know, well, well, is your faith in the right direction? But this is really more of a passage that ties to the idea of the double-minded man that we see in verse 8. So really, verse 6 and 7 are really tied more to this idea of, it's not, do you have enough faith, like in the, in the scale? It's, is your faith really true and really focused? Or is it double-minded? Meaning, are you hedging your bets? Is your lack of faith 
not just some sort of spiritual meter that's low, but is your lack of faith because we're hedging our bets. And we're all guilty of that, right? We all do that. It kind of goes back to, to that compartmentalization caution that I talked about. We think, yes, God, I want your wisdom. I want you to get, God, I'm going to ask in faith for your wisdom, but also I'm going to hedge my bets in all of these other things. To say, yeah, I want your wisdom, but you're just going to be one of the suggestions I take if I get anything from you. And I'm also going to have a lot of other um, worldly things that I'm using to evaluate that, right? Or we all do this too, where we'll go and we'll ask for wise counsel. It's a very churchy thing to do, but we do it. (laughs) We ask for wise counsel. And I love, and I do it too, when I don't get the wise counsel I want. Mm -hmm. Let me ask somebody else their wise counsel. And I will, I will, there's enough Christians where I can eventually find somebody who will agree with what I want them to agree with. And we hedge our bets, and we, we just keep asking until we get the answer that we want, and then we say, yep, look, sought wise counsel, found somebody that affirms what I want. And it's this dangerous way that the how of wisdom gets hijacked easily, right? But we're called in faith to say, God, all in. Would you, would you lead me? I believe you'll steer me. I believe you'll reveal this to me. I trust you. And not, I want to make sure I don't leave off this really important part of prayer. It's not just asking in faith. It's also listening in faith. Right? you got to be in Scripture. If we're asking for wisdom and we're not spending time in God's Word, then um, we are, we're waiting for a bush to catch on fire and for God to just come down in an audible voice. You might, that might not be God's, he, he has the ability to do that, but that might not be God's movement there. He's given us his word. He said, be here, meditate on this. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. So we don't just read this like a textbook. We say, God, Holy Spirit, illuminate your word for me. Steer me through your word. Show me your will. Let me sit with this. Make time for this. We make time for prayer. Or do we treat prayer as kind of a last resort and we just shoot up a flare? Say, well, we're trying a lot of things. I should probably shoot up some, some prayer flares to say, hey, God, I don't really know what's next. Or I'm in a, a tough spot. And I don't really know what the right choice is. And we, and we just throw up a prayer. Or are we people of prayer? Rooted our lives and being able to hear God's word and hear his character and, and ask boldly, God, show me in this decision which way to go but also, not just through prayer, not just through his word here tied to that, but also through community. This is huge, right? We, we see God's wisdom play out in not just any community, but biblical, gospel-centered community of other people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, look at Colossians. I'll throw it up on the screen for you, but Colossians 3.16. Uh, this is what Paul says, and he's writing to a community, right? Paul is writing to this community of believers, He says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So God's design is for you, if you're a follower of Christ, is for you to be in Christian community. Not just Christian cliques and social groups, but actually Christian community. And this playing itself out, right? This idea of of being teaching and admonishing and challenging and, and sharpening each other, right? Even, even this. I mean, you guys showed up in like negative four degrees weather on a Sunday morning and it's cold and wet out there to sit under the proclamation of God's word, the teaching of God's word. This is, be encouraged. 
I'm encouraged that we do this three times a day on Sunday, and it's full of people who walked over here or drove over here and parked a mile down the street or wherever you guys find parking and said, man, I want to sit. I want to admonish. I want to worship. I want to be around others who are worshiping, and then I want to be in community, right? I want to be around other believers, and, and there's a couple of different ways. Yes, peers, right, that you guys are walking with other, if you're in college, that you're around other college students who are trying to live out this Christian life. Um, I, I think the pack is one of my favorite um, examples of where that happens. I just see it happen so well there with these communities of people who are not just trying to learn, but they're trying to like be on mission together and they're encouraging each other and they're in groups and they're, and they're getting to know each other and know how to pray for each other, those kind of things, um, that there's accountability with, with your peers, Christian, um, following Jesus. But, but I would say especially, especially with older believers, right? Christianity is a team sport. It is a team sport. We live in a culture that individualizes everything, right? Everything is individualized. Everything can be single serving. Everything can be very compartmentalized. That's kind of what our culture teaches us. But the Bible says, no, no, his kingdom is very corporate, right? We, we share, it even talks about it in, in Romans 12, the idea that, man, we all are different parts of a body. We're going to have different gifts. Some of you guys are going to have different gifts than I have, and I'm going to have different gifts than you guys have. And so we need to function together as peers, but also you need to be around older believers. You need to be around other people who have made mistakes that you haven't even gotten to yet and they've learned from it and they've gone to the Lord and they've, they've been corrected by God or they've avoided pitfalls that are waiting for you guys. That's why we do family nights. Guys, we don't do family nights because we just want to create social clubs or we want to meet some sort of quota. We do them because we believe that that's actually what the body, the body of Christ, the, the ministry of what God calls us to a life following Christ is not about just a Sunday morning worship and preaching of God's word. We take this seriously. This is important, but this is not the end game. We want you sitting in a living room with, with a couple that loves Jesus and loves you. And I know the family night leaders are praying for wisdom. They are going before the Lord boldly in faith saying, God, give me wisdom to give to young adults who are going to walk in and sit on these couches and eat our food and do life together and go do that. Take advantage of that. Don't go through college and say, ah, I don't know. Take advantage of that within the life of the church. And if, and if you're in a family night and you don't connect, then great, reach out and get in a different family night. If you're sitting on the couch and like, this is great, but I want, I, I need to talk to that guy or I need to talk to that girl more. I got some, I got some more personal questions. Great. You know what? Every family night who hosts a, a, a small group of college students in their house, every family night leader would love for you to say, hey, can we get coffee sometime in the next couple weeks? Would you, could I come over? Could we just have a one-on-one? Can I just go grocery shopping and pick your brain on some things that I'm wrestling with right now and some decisions I'm making? Right? Utilize that. I was at a wedding um, last night, and a, a young woman came up to me who was a part of our ministry probably eight years ago, um, and she came up to me at this wedding. Her name's Kylie. And eight years ago, we had this, this thing that's very similar to family nights, um, and she is, I think she was a sophomore in college at TCU at the time, and she was like, yeah, she signed up, and we partnered her with a, you know, 40-year-old soccer mom who loves Jesus, who's plugged in at our main campus and said, yeah, I'd love to meet with a college girl, and they met together throughout college, and they established a relationship, and she came up to me at this wedding last night and said, her, Meredith is the, is the mentor's name, and said, you connected me with Meredith, and that relationship has shaped my life. 
God's used Meredith in so many ways. You know, this, this girl is now, you know, married and living in Dallas and, and really following Jesus and really plugged in and still has a relationship with Meredith here at, at Christ Chapel in Fort Worth. And, and the decisions that Meredith has gotten to walk with her, the way she's prayed with her, it's just awesome. I remember thinking that's such a God deal. I, I mean it. Don't miss out on an opportunity to connect with a godly man, a godly woman. They are not perfect. We are not perfect. Um, but l- learn from their imperfections. Learn from the mistakes they've made. Okay, last thing is this. So we've got to review how we do it. We pray. We're in God's word in our prayer. We're listening. Um, we're also in community. But also, if we put that slide back up there, also it's with humility. Right? It's with humility. And so we do these things, ask in faith, in community, seeking older wisdom also as a part of God's design in this thing. But the soil in which that wisdom grows in is going to be humility. It's going to be hard to apply wisdom if you don't think you need it. It's going to be hard to receive or hear wisdom if you think you're all good. Humility is at the core of so much of the Christian life. In Proverbs fifteen thirty three: the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom. And humility comes before honor. So even this idea of the fear of the Lord, this, this submission, this, okay, God is good, I'm not, I'm in awe and reverence of who he is, and I am humbling myself under the Lord, under his way, uh, his design, among his people, under his, the leadership that he has put in my life. And so humility is a, is a key ingredient. It's the soil in which if you want wisdom, ask yourself, okay, well, I am praying. And, and, I, am spending some, and I am asking advice from, from Christians. Ask yourself, man, is there pride? Is there pride in your heart that is really keeping so much of what God um, has designed wisdom to grow in at bay because you say, well, I'm, I'm doing those things, but is it from this beautiful fear and awe and reverence and humility of the Lord. And humility is core to all of the Christian life, even to our salvation. Right? We, even to our salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. Right? We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. We can't be smart enough. We can't. You cannot save yourself. So if you've ever wondered, how do I know when I get to heaven, if I'm going to be let in, and you're not sure of your salvation, at the very core of your confidence in your salvation is the reality that you know you can't earn it. You might live a great life, super moral, great church attendance, really kept the list of do's, really stayed away from that list of don'ts. You get to heaven, Matthew 7 says you get to heaven, and Jesus says, I don't know who you are. And you say, but I did all this stuff. Great, I'm glad you did a lot of religious, great moral stuff that probably saved you from a lot of drama, but still, I don't know who you are. We are saved through Christ, a relationship with Christ. That's the gospel. Not our works, not tipping the scale in our favor. You are saved because you say, I can't do it. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of Jesus. He's the only one who could do it. I couldn't fix myself. And our father knew that. And he said, I love you. You aren't going to be able to make it. You're not going to be able to get there. And so I'm going to send my perfect son. He's going to die. He's going to hang on a cross until his lungs can no longer hold air. And he's going to suffocate on a cross and he's going to get buried. I'm going to raise him from the dead 2,000 years ago. And now he's ascended. And I believe at the right hand of our creator saying, that's my son. That's my daughter for all who put their faith in Jesus. And say, I can't do it enough. I can't work. 
Jesus, I need you. My faith is in you. I have a relationship surrendered to you. You are the king of my life, not me, not religion, not what I want. Jesus, I need you. And that profession of faith, that belief, that adopts us. And nothing can separate us after that point. Then we're his. And we, we stumbling over ourselves with our sin and our foolishness and our mistakes and my mistakes. But I get to stand before God one day confidently and say, I'm yours. Because you loved me enough to adopt me and come find me where I didn't belong. That's the gospel. It's the gospel that's available to everybody here. At the core of that is a humility to say, I need him. I can't do this on my own. I'm tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of not knowing. I'm tired of not having the spirit of God in me, which is what happens when we fully surrender our life to Christ. That's what he calls us to. That's the place where wisdom is going to grow. Let me end with this. Let me end with this. You guys have a choice today, right? You guys have a choice today of how you leave here and how you apply this. I've been praying a ton for you guys this last week. We really care about you. And we want you to walk out of this place and choose. God, I want you. I want to do it your way. I want to be a person of prayer, meeting with you. I want to be a person who sits in your community and participates in your community, not as a social club, but who knows my sin and they're willing to call me out and walk with me, who disciple me and walk with me. You have a choice today to shape the trajectory of the man or the woman you want to be in line with James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. He wants to give wisdom. But that's to you to say, do I want to take the faith to follow him? Do I want to keep them compartmentalized or do I want to be somebody who roots their life in Christ, prays fervently, and follows his path? Let me pray for you. God, um, every day we have a choice to get up and to choose you, to follow you, to sink our roots just a little deeper into you, our gracious Father who's allowed us to do that through Christ. We have that choice every morning. And so, um, Lord, today's no different. Would you help set the trajectory of our life that we leave here and we desire, all of us, including myself, more wisdom. That we'd be people who are wise. We'd know how to navigate the world. And we wouldn't just wait until we're stuck in a pit. We wouldn't wait until we've destroyed relationships and destroyed careers and destroyed our health. We wouldn't wait for those things to happen. We'd choose it now. We wouldn't treat wisdom like a genie that we just are going to ask God when we have tough questions, but we would be people rooted in you now. Shape us, each individually, as people who are wise in your way, but also as a community. That'd be a community that encourages each other and spurs each other on towards your path. Because it's good, it's glorifying to you, and it's good for us. We love you. We need you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.